Hi, and welcome to Who Runs That? I'm your host, Seth Stevenson. This is the show where I'll be talking to CEOs of companies that make things you love. Today on Who Runs That? I'll be talking to Carla Gallardo. She's an Ecuadorian immigrant who moved to the United States to get an applied math degree at Brown, then went on to get her MBA from Stanford and launched a women's fashion brand called Kuyana, which is based in San Francisco. Their breakthrough product was a leather tote that's become beloved by professional women. One of her bags was recently seen on the arm of Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex. In our discussion today, Carla Gallardo will explain why when she looked for funding to start Kuyana, she focused on woman investors. She'll talk about how she was able to use smaller factories and specialized craftspeople in places like Italy and Scotland that got left behind as bigger brands moved most of their labor to Asia. And she'll lay out how Kuyana's direct-to-consumer model lets her offer products at a fraction of the price of her competitors. After the break, Carla Gallardo, CEO of Kuyana. Welcome to Who Runs That? Our guest today is Carla Gallardo. She is the founder and CEO of Kuyana. Welcome to the show, Carla. Thank you so much. Super excited. So for people who aren't familiar with Kuyana, tell us what kinds of products do you sell and, and just tell us a little bit about the business. Sure. So Kuyana is a direct-to-consumer brand. Um, our philosophy is founded on the intentionality of buying fewer, better pieces. We make accessories and apparel for women, and we focus on those needed pieces for our day-to-day as busy women. Um, so everything from leather totes to backpacks to pouches to organize our products inside of our bags, um, all the way to apparel pieces like silk blouses and silk dresses to Pima cotton tees. And who is your core customer? You, you said women. Is there a certain age group that you tend to be more focused on? You know, the interesting thing about our brand is that we focused on a clean aesthetic and clean design. And so we, um, we're actually able to attract a very wide demographic in terms of age. So our customer age ranges from anywhere between 20 years old all the way to even 65 years old. And it's a brand that mothers and daughters are proud to wear together, uh, which is something that that's rare to find. Um, the core, though, the, the, our target demographic and the one that we market as a brand is um, the woman between 30 to 40 years old. And so tell me about how you launched Kuyana. What is the origin story? When did you begin with this? The true origin uh, begins with a thought in around 2002, which was my second year uh, living in the U.S. and my sophomore year in college. And um, I'll take you back all the way to my childhood because that's important. Um, I grew up in Ecuador and I was raised in a home of fewer, better things, um, not necessarily, you know, as a choice, uh, but really because the financial situation in Ecuador is such that um, you grow up thinking of purchasing, you know, as like you do of, of investing. So you don't just buy things, you invest in things and you think of your purchases as long, long, long time purchases. And at least that's the way it was when I was young. Um, and so at home, we really thought of everything we bought and um my father was a very big influence in, in my upbringing, not only in kind of thinking this way and always focusing on quality, but also in pushing me to think bigger than the average Ecuadorian uh, woman and pushing me and my sister both to leave Ecuador when we were 18 and to get our education here in the U.S. Um, and so I left Ecuador uh, you know, with this big responsibility of taking advantage of this great education I was going to get. 
And even though my heart and just as a customer, I always really truly love the fashion world and I used to make my clothes with a seamstress back in Ecuador. I embarked on this journey of getting an applied math degree at Brown and then eventually moving on to a banking career uh, in New York and Wall Street. So fast forward to my days at Goldman, uh, when I was a banker working in New York, having that job that I always dreamed of and that, you know, my family was so proud of. After a little over three years, I realized that this was, you know, just was really reaching kind of the top in terms of what success meant for my family at home, but it wasn't really success for me as a person. And I was really missing uh, making more impact to the world. And I had this business idea itching, which was the creation of Kuyana and this brand that would connect customers to the products and how they were made. Um, and I really wanted to go out there and do it. And so I left my my great job and um, I moved to California uh, to get my MBA at Stanford because for me you know letting go of such an incredible job wasn't going to be done from one day to the other I wasn't just going to quit and start this business I really wanted to take it step by step and learn how to get started with a business build a network that would support me through it and then take that leap of faith um, so I ended up here in California and graduated from Stanford. I worked for about a year at Apple on the online store, getting experience and uh, on the on the digital side of the world. I'd never worked in a digital channel before, and, and, and that was a great opportunity for me. And then I left to start Kuyana. And what happened in all of those years of kind of transition is that the market actually set itself up for the creation of Kuyana. On the one hand, the supply chain was wide open for small brands to work with luxury factories um, and through globalization and the move of a lot of the big brands on to produce in Asia, there were a lot of amazing factories left behind in the world that were open to doing business with small brands. And this is a moment in time back in the early 2000s, about 2000, yeah, early 2000s. How did you figure that out? How did you become aware uh, that, that there were these small factories that maybe you could work with that were being left behind? Yeah, I mean, a lot of these micro industries aren't hidden, right? We're talking about leather in Italy, leather in Argentina, um, cashmere in Scotland, and uh, the decay of these micro industries was already on the news, right? So industry sh uh, factories shutting down, family factories, factories like going out of business. And so while everybody was moving on to China, uh, you know, for me, the opportunity was on, well, let's go back to those factories that have years of experience on specific luxury materials and see if we can work with the survivors. So in order to launch this, you need to start getting funding. Tell me about that. How did you fund this dream? Yeah, it was really tough back then. I mean, we were, we were starting this company in San Francisco, so Silicon Valley venture investors here were really our target. However, the hard thing about this was that, number one, this was a business that held inventory, and investors back then were not investing in companies that held product. The second part is that investors didn't really understand the concept of brand back then, right? They weren't investing in, in, in companies that were building brand and making product. And then the third challenge that we had is that this was a company made by women for women. And 
from a customer standpoint, it's a beautiful concept and, uh, you know, the branding is something we're really proud of. The design of the product is something that, you know, fits a, a wide demographic. But the true intelligence is in the behind the scenes. And what we encountered is that when our audience was male, we were stuck on explaining what brand is and why this all these like beautiful kind of um, front end aspects of the brand are so important for a woman customer. Um, instead of spending time on our supply chain, on the unit economics, on our repeat rates and on and on why this white gap in the market of luxurious products for affordable pricing was really where the big business opportunity was. Um, and so we shifted gears to pitching to the very few women venture investors that were out there. And the interesting thing is we found this board on Pinterest and back then Pinterest was really happening. And somebody had made this board with these are the top women angel investors, also VC investors. And so that became our new target list. And we decided to just pitch to women so that we can spend all of our time talking about the business side. And that was successful. And, and one of them, Maha Ibrahim from Canaan Partners, believed in the concept and spent most of our time you know, talking about the supply chain and the marketing side and, and, and why this was going to be a big business. And she wrote us a check. Okay. So now you're talking to a man now, obviously I'm not your target market, although I will say my wife does have multiple Kuyana totes. So I'm, fami I'm oh, familiar cool. with the products. <laughs> um, but can you tell me what, what were the, the male uh, funders you're talking to not getting about brand? What is the thing that's hard to understand? What is your brand and what's important about that? Yeah, um, you know, number one, um, back then the model of choice for investors was the subscription model. Uh, and so, you know, the question always was, well, why don't you push a product every month? Uh, why does the woman consumer care about where the product is made or care about the quality? Or, um, you know, why does brand matter? Like, can't they buy a tote anywhere else? Why wouldn't they buy it from coach? Um, so, I mean, the bottom line, answer really was about the fact that the consumer was changing and she wanted a better choice. She wanted better quality. Logos didn't matter anymore, but the substance of the product mattered. And so really getting to that intangible of what the customer of today was looking for was something that was hard to explain with words. Um, many would say, let me go ask my wife what she thinks. And so that, that, you know, just understanding this, this truly, Kuyana really addressed the customer need, right? It was not just one more fashion brand. Uh, we were targeting the customer that was tired of low quality products out there that were overpriced. Uh, you know, our woman needs, uh, our customer needs products that are going to transition her from day to night, from a week to weekend. She's busy, she's a mom, or she's not, you know, she's just on the go. Um, and we needed, the need was to create a brand that offered quality products that you could count on and products that made you feel elegant and dressed up, whether you were picking up your kid from school and walking right straight to the office right after, or whether you were leaving a meeting from work and going straight into dinner. And so those just softer aspects, um, you know, were things that definitely could spend time um, explaining and talking about, but the real substance and like really the smart pieces of our model were not in that customer insight that it 
it was a more natural aspect to understand when you are a woman and understandably so right i think that you know if you're pitching me and a, a product that's really deep into a, a male customer need i'm not going to get it uh, mm-hmm. unless you spend mar- more time explaining that to me mm-hmm. and then you said there are these objections to companies that hold inventory i'm sure when you were at stanford business school a lot of your classmates were launching things like apps where there was like, you know, you don't actually touch any product, everything, you know, there's a user and you're connecting people and you're just off in the cloud somewhere. Did you feel some pressure to do something like that? Did you feel out of step with them because you were doing something that actually had a physical product and inventory? No. I mean, to me, this is why this was so much more interesting because we were being so smart with our inventory. And that's what we spent all of our time uh, with Maha on, right? We had developed this optimized model in the back end where we could actually be much better about inventory than the traditional retailer. Um, And the interesting thing is that, you know, a company like ours doesn't burn the amount of money that a tech company burns. And so we're actually using that cash to buy product that actually has a value. And you said there was, you felt like there was this gap between luxury goods and and affordable goods. And in between, you get sort of affordable luxury is a term I've heard. Where were you thinking about yourself on the pricing spectrum and the quality spectrum and where you could fit in? Yeah. I mean, there's this big category called contemporary, the contemporary category, where it is it was the beginning of this affordable luxury concept a few decades ago. Um, But what we saw through time is that the original uh, value proposition of luxury quality for a more affordable price um, started to deteriorate as a lot of these companies started to struggle with margins and, you know, cutting costs and a lot of the delivery of this quality that was there years ago um, wasn't there anymore. So customers started to be disappointed with, with that. And so the, the idea of Kuyana uh, was to come in and actually deliver on that level of quality, but do it at a smarter price. So maybe you can give an example of sort of the price of one of your products and what you get for that price and and what it's up against its competitors, what you might pay for something else and what the quality would be for that and what the differences are. Yeah. So at Kuyana, we have a saddlebag that's made in Italy and it's priced at $295. And we make it in a factory in Italy where other luxury brands make their products. And briefly just describe what what is a saddlebag? What, what kind of product are we talking about? Oh, yeah. So a, a saddlebag is a crossbody bag that, um, I mean, you can wear on, or on your shoulder, you can wear it crossbody. It has a, a shape of kind of a semi-circle a little bit, not not so much, but um, it's it, when you open the flap inside, there's just one large container when you can put all your products. Ours has a pocket as well with a zipper so that you can organize your, your, your you know, the, the products that you put inside in, in a better way. Uh, okay. But it's a, it's a bag that image. women... All right, great. And you can carry it on the weekend and, and kind of it's like a perfect weekend bag like you, when you're just walking around and, um, you know, it's not a bag that holds a ton of things, but it's just a, a nice bag to put your wallet in and, uh, and you know, your makeup and cell phone, keys, etc. So, so yours is at $295 and is made in yeah, Italy. Yeah, so made in Italy. So comparably, a luxury brand that makes their products in Italy and probably comparable factories um sells a saddlebag for 1850 with similar materials, probably a little bit of more hardware than us, but that's what a saddlebag made in very similar factories with similar materials 
uh, would sell it um, if you were buying it from a luxury brand. And obviously, uh, sorry, not obviously, but um, there is the piece of luxury that um, that is the exclusivity and the factor and the, the premium that's embedded into that price point, right? So when we think of luxury, we, we think of that price point, including that brand premium. So you're saying uh, you, you might have the same materials, the same craftsmanship, but there's an, a name and maybe slightly different hardware, but there's a name that you're paying the extra $1,600 or $1,500 for? Definitely. What's definitely. the name? You can tell us. You can tell us the name. Oh, yeah. I mean, Celine has a saddlebag. Uh, Chloe has a saddlebag. Uh, most uh, luxury brands that focus on brands have a saddlebag. It's not exactly our design, uh, but the price points are north of, you know, $1,500 for a saddlebag from a luxury brand. But Meghan Markle was recently photographed holding your saddlebag, which must have been pretty exciting, right? Yes. It was super exciting. She was actually wearing the mini version of our saddlebag, which is priced even lower than the 295. But uh, but yeah, it's super, super exciting. But I think that the point is not luxury because luxury, luxury is something, and by the way, I as a customer admire. Um, there's a reason why those bags are priced at that price point. And, you know, there's an exclusivity factor. There's the designer um, aspect of what luxury is about. Um, what's interesting is that when you think of all of those other contemporary brands that I was talking about and what the contemporary brands offer, which is kind of the place where Kuyana is coming in to reinvent, a brand that's kind of positioned in the map, you know, at that contemporary level, sell a saddlebag that's made in China, not in Italy, for $595. And so that is the perfect example of how Kuyana is coming in to give you a better offering to that customer because we're not only making our bags with better materials and in better factories. Um, and when I say better, by the way, I don't mean that China is bad, but Italy has a true history of leather making and true heritage in leather. Um, so it's it's more specific to that specific product, right? But um, And so you have Kuyana coming in to offer a bag that's um, half of the price of these other contemporary bags. It's made in a factory that's more specialized in, that, in, in leather. Um, and so overall, that offering ends up being much, much better. So how do you make your margins work if you're still paying for the Italian factory instead of the Chinese factory, if you're still paying for the high quality leather, but you're selling it for, you know, like a thousand dollars less or, 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 or even more, how are you making your margins work? Because we don't distribute through other channels. And so uh, we don't have other uh, retailers needing to make a, a, a margin of the product. And so we sell direct to consumer. And so our consumer is able to buy our products at the wholesale price. If we were to sell the saddlebag that's $2.95 to our customers through another retailer, say Bloomingdale's or, or, or any other uh, retailer that would carry Kuyana, the price point of that bag would have to be three times what it is right now. 2.5 to 3 times what it is right now. So we would have to sell it at, you know, anywhere from 500 to $750. And that's when we start then being priced at a similar level as the other uh, contemporary brands. And so was this direct-to-consumer model, was that baked into your idea from the very start? Yes. And what that means is it, it means people can buy the bags from your website or they can buy them. You have a few brick and mortar stores that we'll talk yes. about more later, but but that's where they can buy it. But they can't buy it on Amazon. They can't buy it at Bloomingdale's or a department store or anywhere else, just directly from you. Exactly right. 
That said, the other channels are starting to think about distribution differently because of the creation of all of these direct-to-consumer brands, which are the brands of the future. And when you talk about these other direct-to-consumer brands that are that are you know, maybe the, maybe the future, just for our listeners, what are some sort of famous direct-to-consumer success stories that so they can sort of picture what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, my favorite and really the inspiration behind uh, the, the direct-to-consumer model at Kuyana is Warby Parker, and they were really the leading brand in this direct-to-consumer model, and they, you know, they, they're uh, focused on eyewear, but they were the first to think about it in this way. I feel like you just, we, we mentioned Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle was photographed with your saddlebag. I feel like for a women's brand targeting women 30 to 40, that is like the number one possible person that you could have your product photographed <laughs> with. Um, so first of all, was that, did you have any involvement in that or was that pure happenstance? Yeah, you know, I can't really comment on that, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, what is the impact of having Meghan Markle photograph with one of your products? I mean, it's great. Um, I'll say that there was a t point in time where, you know, a celebrity or an influencer wearing a brand's product would make that brand a hit. Right. This is back in the day where you didn't see celebrities and influencers on Instagram every day being photographed with every single product they wear. Right. Um, that time is no longer here. So even though it is such an amazing lift for our brand and obviously for our sales and it's just it's it, we, we are so honored that Meghan Markle wore our bag. Um, you know, it is, it's not the kind of peak of our, it, it, it's not what's going to make Kuyana success in the coming years. Um, and so, so, so that's, that's all I can say. We are so honored. Uh, and it, it's definitely a peak in our sales. <laughs> <laughs> you see the bump. <laughs> we see the um, bump. We see the bump. <laughs> okay. How else other than possibly having some involvement you can't comment on with with having Meghan Markle carry one of your bags. How else do you market Kuyana? Yeah, you know, the, our, our key ingredient is a happy customer. Uh, most of our sales and most of our growth has been driven by our own customers, uh, word of mouth and our customers buying other customers gifts from Kuyana. You know, we, we that's how it started and, and it continues to be the strongest driver behind our growth. Um, we also have other efforts that we are actively uh, doing internally to grow the business. We talked about retail being one of them. Um, we focus on digital marketing as well. Uh, we do some grassroots marketing too. Um, but the, all of these efforts are uh, done in a way that continues to be very authentic to our brand. And our goal is to grow the business in a way that um, the experience of the customer continues to be top notch, right? So we, if we get to a state where we're opening too many stores and the experience in the store starts to not be as high of, uh, with the high standards that we envision, then we'll be careful on, on doing that too fast. I think what you've seen in the past few decades are brands growing too quickly and quality getting deteriorated or the experience or customer experience being deteriorated alongside that growth. When you started Kuyana and probably now, you're not very different probably from your target customer in lots of ways. You probably identify with them fairly closely. Can you envision a time where you get to a place in your life where you are sort of different from your target customer? Could that happen? Is that something that you think about or fear? No, I actually don't. You know, we, we I told you we have customers that are 
older than 60 that come to buy from us. Uh, the awesome thing about this brand is that you don't grow out of it, right? It's a brand that it can be, be your brand for your your all your adult years. Um, so I don't envision that. And that's the cool part of building this, that even as I grow up <laughs> in age, I get to understand the customer and, and her different stages in life um, and what those transitions are about. And we, we you know, we, we, We've done some studies and some work, and it turns out that Cunyan is a very appealing brand for women when they're going through a transitional state, right? When they're moving up in their career and they need to start feeling more sophisticated or elegant in the office, when, they, um, when they're going through the years of uh, becoming a mom or kind of getting married, and when, so basically when wardrobe changes need to happen and when you need to start thinking differently about what you wear. Um, and, and that happens all the way through the later years. You know, your body changes, babies happen. Uh, uh, your taste starts changing, right? You start going from the trend focus to more of the classic focus. And that's exactly what Kuyana is about. Okay, we're going to take a quick break now. And after that, we'll be back with more from Carla Gallardo of Kuyana. Okay, I'm going to move to our lightning round. Are you ready? Tell me. <laughs> okay, open plan office or an office with doors that close? Open plan office. Why? Um, there's... Their communication is key and things change a lot in a startup and when everybody can overhear what's going on where you can just quickly get together and, and do it. There are no secrets in our office. But can you still maintain that with like 100 employees is, or, or does everyone just start putting on their headphones and ignoring each other because it's, we've gotten like too big? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it starts getting hard, but there's still teams that are, work really closely with specific teams. And so uh, it, it, up, up until now, it continues to be beneficial to have an open floor plan. Uh, but we actually, we're constantly evaluating it. And so right now, you know, the merch team with marketing team and creative teams sit very close to each other. And it's really easy for them to get work done throughout the day. They don't need to go and get into a meeting room to answer like three minute questions that they have for each other. What other companies in any field do you look at and envy? A bunch. Okay, so for brand purposes, um, I look at luxury brands and how they've built their brands and the choices that they're able to make and you know forego uh, sales for a big stake in the ground about who they are and who they target. So I love brands like Chloe, love brands like Celine, uh, who can say what they stand for and not care what other people say. Um, from a people standpoint, in terms of um, culture building and uh, and allowing uh, your team to create their path and culture and give a lot of autonomy to the employees, I really like uh, the cliche of Google, but you know, for to me, a lot of what that company has done is is really interesting and in how that plays into just human nature, and uh, and, and so, I, so I love looking at them. Uh, Zappos is a big inspiration for me from an operational standpoint and, and you know, the real insights of what made that business successful. Uh, there's a book that was written by one of the Zappos founders that was actually a book I read before I decided to start Kuyana um, after business school, and it was like a real inspiration for me. Um, those kind of three buckets are the ones that I look at. So, you know, combination of brand, people, and then processes operations. <laughs> what mistake have you made in the past that you've learned the most from? Uh, God, so, so many mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> we, we make mistakes all the time. Pick um, your most embarrassing mistake. Okay. The one you would least like to reveal to a, a national audience. 
Oh my goodness. It's probably been, and, and this is one of my weaknesses, I have no notion of who is famous or who's um, who's a celebrity or, you know, who many times I just don't recognize that. And there have been many times where uh, that actually has played to my advantage because I'm, you know, I get to meet people and I'm just myself and I don't get nervous about that. But I think there have been a couple of times where I've probably offended people for asking them what they do. Um, and then maybe that has cost us some, 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 some time in terms of going back to build the relationships, depending on who on who those people are. Um, but those are more more kind of you know uh, silly mistakes. Um, you know, I, I I just think you know in terms of just managing teams and motivating people to do work while it's stressful. You know, there, there's the stick and the carrot method of motivating uh, folks and toggling between the two and kind of learning the personalities and, and what works for different types of people is really kind of the ongoing learnings that we have internally as we continue to build the company. Um, and I think that that's something that, you know, we constantly even talk about across companies with other founders uh, and how do we get to motivate um motivate the employee the, you know the new kind of generation of employees that are joining our companies and and so applying what what I how I was how, the, the the kind of um, methods that were used when I was a, a junior employee versus what what we should apply today is very different <laughs> if I told you tomorrow that you are fired from Kuyana and you can never again do anything remotely related to what you're doing right now with Kuyana what would you want to do with your life you would take my life away from me. Uh, <laughs> but I just uh, did. Honest, I just I did probably, that. Now what? Yeah, I would probably start another company. I am so not done building. Uh, you know, I have a dream and I want to build it. And I'm so excited about it. And if you took it away from me, I'll probably figure out another dream and start building it. I just love creating and building from scratch and all the challenges that come with it. Carla Gallardo, thank you so much for coming on Who Runs That? Thank you so much for having me. That's our show for today. Who Runs That is produced by Cameron Drews and Cleo Levin. The senior producer for Slate Podcasts is TJ Raphael. The editorial director for Slate Podcasts is Gabriel Roth. I'm Seth Stevenson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>